Who are you, really? Are you the mask you hide behind every morning when you say, I'm good? Are you the dreams you had as a child? Are you the mountains you said you would climb? Are you imperfection embodied? Or are you just a person behind a mask? If you are, may I ask you, what's under it? Is it the tears you were told not to cry? Is it the pain you were instructed not to show? The weakness you've attempted to hide or the trauma you've ignored for so long that you question if it's even real? Who are you really? Are you the mask or are you the person behind it? The person that's full of love and empathy, an affectionate, kind, and gentle soul, with strength beyond muscles and a soft heart and a sharp mind, a listening ear, a critical thinker, a person who gives, takes, and makes space for others. Well, look, whoever you are, wherever you are, no matter what you bring with you, can I take you on a journey with me? On this journey, feel free to leave your mask behind for you won't need it here. This is a journey to discover what's beyond it. What's up, everybody? My name is Destin Land, and you're listening to Rethinking Manhood, where we journey together in the process of unlearning patriarchal masculinity and making space for men to heal, to grow, and to learn. Now, the truth is, I grew up both inside and outside of the box. I can vaguely remember a time within my childhood where I was probably the most free and my most authentic self. This time was when I was a young boy and when I was super obsessed with Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movies. Now I am so ashamed and slightly embarrassed to admit this, but I can remember going to Blockbuster with my family and I would always look for the Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movies. I remember a movie called Switching Goals, a movie called Billboard Dads. Now, I'm sure y'all have probably never heard of none of these movies. But one thing I can say is I really loved them. I don't even know why. There's a part of my adult self that wants to watch one to see if it uncovers any memories. Because I couldn't tell y'all not one thing about what these movies were about. I can only remember the covers of the DVDs. Now, it was cool for a minute. You know, for a short period, no one was bothered by my choice in movies. But I remember one day, my dad having a conversation with me, basically telling me that I couldn't watch these movies. And in his defense, he was doing what most dads of his time would do. These movies were far from masculine and... I imagine my father had this conversation with me so I wouldn't turn out to be too feminine or probably what he saw as being even worse. Gay. I used to love dancing. It always feels strange to say that, but I can remember my feet twirling on the hardwood floors of my bedroom, my body just moving to different rhythms and exploring the many different things that I could do My favorite part was embodying the different characters that each dance required. Now, when the first Chris Brown album came out in 2005, you bet your bottom dollar, and I mean your bottom dollar, that I knew the words to every single song and had the livest dance routines to the songs too. Now, my favorite song and the song I had the best routine to 
was Run It by Chris Brown. That was that song. It's like, it's your man on the phone. Let me know. Let me see. You can run it, run it again. Y'all know that song. And I even performed this song at my elementary school in fifth grade for a talent show. And I promise y'all couldn't tell me nothing that day. I remember my cousin taught me this dance move from from Texas, and I threw that in there, and I was like, this is going to make the crowd go nuts. And honestly, I was the man that day. I don't care if my performance was whack or not. I know that I bodied that. (laughs) And, you know, I remember that dancing, loving to dance. It was cool for a while, but as I stepped into preteenhood and my early teen years, those junior high years, I started realizing that, look, Unless you were the next Chris Brown, the next Usher. Did nobody want to see all that dancing stuff from a nigga? Now, this may sound minor. It may sound small. Some people may say that I'm looking at this too deeply. It's not that serious. It's not that important. But I do think we must consider the path that this way of thinking leads to. I believe it leads to a path of hiding, a path of shame, and a path of invisibility. I sat in my first class of college. It was sociology. Didn't really know what it was. All I knew was that it was the subject my sister majored in. So I figured it was something important. In the first few days of class, something oddly clicked for me. My professor started talking about socialization, and that changed a lot of things for me. Now, I don't want to assume that every listener has taken Sociology 100, so I'm going to define it. And in addition to that, Dr. Beverly Tatum and Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria talks about the importance of defining something before engaging in a conversation about it. When we fail to do this, our conversations get nowhere because we end up having a conversation about two vastly different things. Anyway, socialization, according to Oxford Dictionary, is the process of learning to behave in a way that is acceptable to society. It is basically us learning social skills, learning how we are expected to show up in the world. It's the process of us learning our values, our ideals, and morality being instilled into us. It is when we essentially learn the rules of life. The interesting thing about all the things that we learn is that, in fact, a lot of them are just socially constructed. By socially constructed, I mean things that have no meaning to them, Until a group of people give it meaning. Masculinity is one of those things that is largely socially constructed. Meaning that we understand and see things as masculine simply because we were taught to in the process of socialization. And if you don't believe me, I promise you that history reveals its evidence when you start to look into how much of our definitions of masculinity have changed and evolved and swapped over time, you will believe me. An example of this is sexism in colors. Now, I'm sure many of us are familiar with pink being for girls and blue for boys. 
it's one of those things that hold meaning in our society, but it literally does just because people randomly decided to give it meaning. The University of Missouri, Kansas City Women's Center released an article back in 2018 discussing the origins of these colors. In this article, it talks about how the two colors were first chosen because of how they complemented hair and eye colors. Blue was meant to go with blue eyes and or blonde hair, and pink for brown eyes and or brown hair or and or brown hair. Then blue was actually the color that was assigned to girls because it was seen as a dainty color, and pink was seen as a stronger color, so it was assigned to boys. It's giving misogyny. Well, so then how in the world did pink become a color for girls and blue for boys? Let me tell you. Girls were reassigned with pink because it was close to red, a romantic color, and women were seen as more emotional. In the 1960s, during the women's liberation movement, women challenged this social norm, and they wanted to throw away this whole concept of gendered colors. However, this didn't really last long. Prenatal testing came out, parents were pre-planning for their babies, and retailers realizing that they could capitalize on selling specific content tailored for each gender, they ran with that. There was something about learning about this in sociology that made me feel seen. For a second, I realized that, wait a minute here, maybe I'm not weird. Just not who everyone thinks I should be. By this time in my life in college, I had lived through being asked a thousand times, are you gay? No. My mannerisms critiqued. Everyone wondering why I didn't play basketball, football, why I wasn't aggressive. Was I a punk? Was I a pussy? Or was I something else? My frustration with this question. I remember going through a phase of fully embodying what everyone else wanted me to be. I talked to my stuff, got into a few altercations. They weren't necessary. But I had to prove to these niggas that I wasn't soft. I talked about women inappropriately calling them out of their names, knowing that wasn't me. But it was the only way to be a man. After graduating from college, I got my Master of Education in Youth Development Leadership. While in my graduate program, I focused mostly on researching Black masculinity looking at youth programs that were geared towards black boys. While on my grad school journey, I was confused as hell. I knew what I was trying to describe and knew what I was talking about, but just didn't have the language to describe it in a way that felt right. I wanted to challenge and expand my community's idea of manhood. I didn't want to make it seem like I was saying that there was something wrong with playing sports or uh, having quote-unquote traditional masculine interest. That's when I stumbled upon the work of one of my heroes, Bell Hooks, Rest in Power. In Bell Hooks' book, The Will to Change, she spoke my language. (laughs) She was discussing patriarchal masculinity 
When I first heard her defined it, I knew that that was the language that I needed. Bell hooks, thank you. You taught me that in theory, we can also find healing. We can understand ourselves more and make sense of the things happening in our life. You taught me the importance of imagination and the process of critical thinking. You taught me a whole lot about love. Thank you. If I ever write anything, I hope that it will touch lives in the way that your words touched mine. I want to close this episode with a few quotes from Bell Hooks from The Will to Change. I want you to ponder these quotes before the next episode. Know that this is just the beginning, and we will only continue to go deeper and deeper. Here's what Bell Hooks says. In patriarchal culture, males are not allowed simply to be who they are, and to glory in their unique identity, their value is always determined by what they do. In an anti-patriarchal culture, males do not have to prove their value and worth. They know from birth that simply being gives them value, the right to be cherished and loved. Patriarchy demands of men that they become and remain emotional cripples since it is a system that denies men full access to their freedom of will. It's a difficult way for any man of any class to rebel against patriarchy, to be disloyal to the patriarchal parent, be that parent female or male. Learning to wear a mask, the word already embedded in the term masculinity, is the first lesson in patriarchal masculinity a boy learns He learns that his core feelings cannot be expressed if they do not conform to the acceptable behavior sexism defines as male. Asked to give up the true self in order to realize the patriarchal ideal, boys learn self-betrayal early and are rewarded for these acts of soul murder. Thank you for listening today. I hope the rest of your day and the rest of your week is full of peace, joy, wholeness, laughter, and centeredness. I hope and pray that you would find delight and gratitude in the small things and will find a way to be more present with the people that you love. I love you all, and I hope that you stick around and continue this journey with me. Thank you all so much for listening to my podcast, Rethinking Manhood. A few things, if you're interested in connecting with me further, feel free to follow me on Instagram at Destin, D-E-S-T-Y-N, for greatness, for F-O-R, not the number. We ain't doing that over here. Um, And if you want more updates on this podcast, follow us on Instagram at Rethinking Manhood. I'm so excited for this next episode. I know that you may be left with a lot of questions after today. You may be feeling like we just scratched the surface, and that's okay. Unlearning patriarchal masculinity is going to be a lifelong journey. Be patient with me. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's heal together. Take care.